Week 8, Session 2 Exercising Desire It is God who works in you both to will and work for His good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 Take your time. When we consider the ideas and ramifications of the promised land that wisdom offers, it's easy to get caught in a mentality that requires a finish line. We think, once I get to the promised land, the journey's over, I can rest, the hard work is done. But then we see that the promised land isn't a destination, it's a lifestyle, a journey, a pathway in itself. It's a place of rest, sure, but it's a place of work as well. Restful work, work done in partnership and in relationship with God. The promised land is a way we live, a way we invest our time. And so it becomes obvious that there's a link between wisdom and time. Wisdom being the ability to apply truth to life and time being the journey itself. Wisdom is the proverbial car and time is the road it travels on. Both find their fulfillment in the other. The work of time in spiritual transformation is probably the least glorious of all the elements but remains the glue for the rest. Grace, relationships, ownership and wisdom all need time to take effect. Sudden gains never appear in isolation. They are either preceded or followed up by the solidifying work of time. The irony is, time marches on whether we use it well or not. It is a constant resource which can appear as a friend or as an enemy, depending on how it's viewed. We can think, time is running out, but time doesn't run out, it just keeps going. The ability for us to meet a goal or reach a destination in time runs out. Time is a friend if you realise that life is not about destinations as much as it is about journeys. You are, according to Romans 8.29, predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, but you should know by now you will never get there. However, you can live in an ever more Christ-like way, and that is both the point and the relief of God's view of transformation. His priority is the way we take the journey, based in faith and faithfulness. Once you discern between yourself and God, an area where you want to walk in a more Christ-like way, the elements of growth are what you want to adopt over time. The path of discipleship is a path with certain disciplines. That's where the word disciple comes from. A disciple does what the master does. They follow him and become like him. Disciples are made daily, not in a day. They are journeymen who walked in the dust of their rabbi and do it for an extended period. In Jesus' day, they didn't read his book or download a podcast. They didn't have the master merely lay his hands on them to impart all his knowledge and experience. They walked with him over time and adopted routines that did in them what they saw had been done in the master. Author Dallas Willard wrote a landmark book called The Great Omission. Its title is a play on words referring to the Great Commission of Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Willard's point is that we have left something out of the command. Over the centuries, Christians have certainly gone out. We've baptized, we've taught people to observe the commands, but the omission is this. There are few disciples being made. To teach people to obey or to give them an outward sign like baptism, but to not give them an inward ability to walk as a disciple is to give them form without freedom or rules without relationship. Disciples use disciplines to make room for freedom. They create a house that invites and welcomes grace to take up residence. 
Disciplines are the toolbox of time. They are small and incremental habits that shape our spirit so we can be shaped by the Holy Spirit. Spiritual disciplines are the actual sails on the boat that catch God's wind. They are the things that we do in the strength we have that position us to embrace what only God can do in His strength. There are three pictures that are helpful when considering the work of disciplines and time. They are the elephant, the ant, and the barking dog. The Elephant In the mid-1970s, a preacher and his friends were inspired to build a church whose design was unprecedented in scale and cost, $18 million, which today would be more than 70 to $100 million. How will you raise it, he was asked. It's too much money for your people to pay. No one has that much money. I'm not trying to raise $18 million, he said. I'm trying to find two people in the world who can give a million, 10 to give 100000 500 who will give 10,000, and 1,000 who will give 1,000. Robert Schuller wasn't looking for the 18 million. He was looking for 1,512 people, and he found them, or they found him. The Crystal Cathedral was built and stands to this day as a monument to the principle of the elephant. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How does God change a person? One bit at a time, small bits over a long time. If they are not intentionally shored up, gains obtained too quickly and too suddenly tend to be a house of cards that look quite impressive but are destined to fall in the slightest wind. Revelations are wonderful. New insights can be a catalyst for life change. An inner healing experience can give what years of cognitive therapy can't. A change of circumstance can open new possibilities. But if the heart remains the same, if old ways of thinking aren't put to death one day at a time, If we find freedom but don't build a protective form, then we will always implode back to the level of our character. Long-term gains are an elephant. They are daunting. They look too big for us to consider taking on. It is implausible for an abused person, for example, to consider dealing in an instant with the immense trauma and confrontation of their healing. For a hard-hearted person to try and become a loving and giving parent and spouse at the moment that their family is walking out the door is impossible. For any of us to be totally free of sin, rid of ungodly beliefs, and healed of wounds is like contemplating the eating of an elephant. Who would even want to start? Show me the popcorn instead. But elephants can be eaten. They've done it around the world for centuries. However, no person just jumps onto the carcass and starts chewing. They cut off a piece large enough to carry back to their village. Then they cut it up into pieces small enough to cook for the family. Then they would cut it up even smaller for each person to handle. Then they would cut it up again into bite-sized pieces. And then they would chew it until it could be swallowed. That's how you eat an elephant. Where do you want to grow? Have you refined that list to filter out the potential elephants that look too big, but knowing that that is the elephant that needs to be eaten? What if you had a lifetime to eat the thing? Could it be done? What would the major elements of the task look like? And could each major element be broken down further until you finally have some short, medium, and long-term waypoints on the journey? What if it was broken down to one single change of thought or action at a time? Broken down to one discipline that could be a hand back on the rope of hope? We don't need to set lofty goals for change in a day. We are changed daily, just a little, by taking bite-sized chunks. Each day, when we win, when we take such a small slice that we can swallow, we grow and we change.
The ant. The ant can eat the elephant. Well, maybe not one ant, but you get the idea. Proverbs 6 verse 6 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider their ways and be wise. Why would a sluggard need to look at the ant? Well, because the sluggard is always waiting for an elephant-sized gap in their life before they start eating, but the gap never comes. Life will always conspire to fill your life. And so, God tells us to look to the lowly ant for inspiration. They don't do much. They just walk for ages to move a piece of dirt or find a crumb for the heap, and then they walk for ages to bring it back. Sometimes they lose their way because some eight-year-old kid has wiped their trail or chases them with a magnifying glass, but if they escape, they tirelessly find their way back and deliver their load. But then, interestingly, the ant doesn't sit down for a bit of me time. They don't have a union meeting and figure the queen has so much surplus that they should go down to a 30-hour week. The ant turns around and looks for another crumb. It doesn't hurry and it doesn't dawdle. It just walks, always at the same pace. This is the key to discipleship doing something that's doable every day and doing it in a sustainable way. This is how godly habits are formed, one at a time. A decision is made, a new discipline formed by doing something new quite consciously until it becomes part of the unconscious routine. But more than that, the power of putting one hand after the other like this eventually accelerates progress. Rather than effort draining us, it develops capacity. Author Jim Collins likens it to the principle of a flywheel. Imagine a huge cement wheel, two metres high. It's a little like that elephant, too big to get spinning fast. But if you apply a little force to it, you might get it to spin imperceptibly slowly. It is not fast, but the wheel is moving, and because it's so heavy, its inertia keeps it spinning at that speed. The next day, you apply a little strength to it again. You can't see it moving, but it's rotating maybe twice as fast as yesterday. The next day you do the same and then the next and the next. Eventually the wheel is spinning faster and faster, gaining all the time until its force is something to be reckoned with. But the power in the wheel is all yours. It is your strength added up over time. This is the power of the ant, doing something small and doing it constantly. The Barking Dog The dogs of desire are constantly barking. We have our old nature making a noise, wanting us to find cheap and instant gratification. This is the wild dog. Then we have the companion dog, the friend who will guide us on our journey. This is the new nature, a desire that is worthy and growing. Both need food to survive, but they aren't limitless in their endurance. They can be fed or they can be starved, but the power for both lies in our hands. Desires and hungers are like the barking dogs. If we feed them, they get stronger. If we starve them, they die. If we give ourselves a constant diet of junk food and neglect the healthy foods, we eventually lose the appetite for that which gives life, and we crave that which makes us sick. Hungers are developed, and in the same way, our desires are developed. Our choice is to decide exactly which desire we will develop. If the desire we know should be there is absent, maybe we need to cultivate that desire from scratch, breathing into it the way God breathed life into the dust to make Adam. Spiritual disciplines are the way to exercise godly desire. There are many of them, some inward, some outward. They are the simple habits which invite and embrace the presence and power of God in our life. They have been practiced by the saints for millennia, and Jesus too used them as part of his lifestyle. 
He would use the disciplines of solitude and prayer, for example, as a way to build intimacy with his father. There are literally dozens of tried and tested disciplines to tap into, such as worship, fasting, scripture reading, silence, sacrifice, confession, and so on. There are practices we can do in our own strength, like the ant with the piece of food, that shape our spirit and make room for God's grace to transform us from within. But rather than implementing a large number of changes all at one time, consider the area in which you would like to grow. Consider the desire that requires exercise. What discipline would feed that desire? We should match a discipline to a desire, keeping things simple and achievable until we have a habit in place or a new grace within. Disciplines are part of our daily life. They are the stepping stones on the road of time. The elephant is the area of our life we want to address. It needs to be broken down into bite-sized pieces. The ant is our own small strength, tiny but methodical, denying laziness of its hold. It refuses to wait for an elephant-sized gap in our life to appear that will enable us to address everything at once. And the barking dog is the desire we choose to feed with a daily discipline. These three pictures give us the framework with which to make use of time. The reality of time can work for us or against us. It depends on how we view it and how we use it. God calls us to live today in such a way that determines our eternity. What will you change today? Your Journal The reality of time can work for us or against us. It depends on how we view it and how we use it. God calls us to live today in such a way that determines our eternity. What will you change today?